0: God, so use that and, and let that penny be a reminder for you, amen. I want you to take your notes out and uh, we're going to look at, you know, as we, as we enter into this Easter season, we, we, we look at a couple things uh, about Christ and we look at Easter and we think, wow, the, the resurrection and Jesus rising from the dead, that's, that's pretty cool stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that happened before that. There's a lot of stuff that happened before Jesus actually rose from the grave, and that's what I want to look at today. And it has to deal with the topic that we're talking about—suffering. And we're going to look at why Jesus had to suffer. I think probably the one question that that more people would ask than any other question is this question: If you were to if you were to interview people on the street, or, if, or maybe this question got posed to you. More times than not, people are going to ask this question. If you were to ask them, ask any question about God that you want to know, what would it be? And the question would be, why does God allow pain and suffering? And what's what's the purpose of suffering in our lives? And I believe the cross explains that. I believe what Jesus went through for us explains that. Now, we understand that suffering at times seems so senseless and without meaning Yet we all understand that it's through suffering that we grow the greatest. Amen. I like this Scottish theologian, James Stewart, not Jimmy, not Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) James Stewart made this great observation about suffering. He said this, and I love this. He says, it's the spectator's the people who are outside looking at the tragedy, from those ranks, the skeptics come. It is not those who are actually in the arena who know suffering from the inside. Indeed, the fact is that it's the world's greatest sufferers who have produced the most shining examples of unconquerable faith. I believe that's true. You see, Jesus shared with his disciples actually what kind of death he would die they didn't understand it they didn't comprehend what jesus was about to take on for them but jesus knew this one thing jesus knew that he had to suffer and there's a lot going on uh, before uh, before jesus actually rose from the grave there's a lot going on before jesus actually suffered on the cross and was raised from the grave and in fact the the gospels give us a glimpse into what jesus actually went through and we call this the the passion week of christ or the, the holy week of Christ leading up to his crucifixion and his resurrection. We, we know as we read through the word of God, we know that Jesus came into Jerusalem the week before he was crucified and rose from the grave. We know that he came in to celebrate the Passover feast. He was given a room to share this Passover meal with his disciples. We know that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, Judas. He was uh, arrested we know that he was given a faulty trial and he was ordered to be crucified, claiming that he blasphemed against God for claiming to be God himself. But what I want to concentrate on today is the experience that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he went to the cross. This is an incredible, incredible thing that jesus went through as he prayed in this garden right before he was to go to the cross i want to read matthew's account of this in matthew 26 for you because there's some incredible things that happen here that we need to understand before jesus even went to the cross we need to understand there's some important things that jesus had to endure and i believe it's going to help us to Better understand why is there suffering and why did Jesus have to suffer for us? Matthew 26, let's read those verses starting with verse 36. And it says this, When Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here a while, and I'm going to go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not even keep watch with me one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And when he went away a second time and prayed, he said, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then when he returned, the disciples said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I want you to get a glimpse of what's going on here and why this place, Gethsemane, is so important. It's a garden. Gethsemane is a garden. It it literally means oil press. And where Gethsemane was located, it was located on the, the slopes of the Mount of Olives. It was a valley that separated this garden of Gethsemane from Jerusalem. It's called the Kindred Valley. This garden was a garden of ancient olive trees. And in fact, these ancient olive trees still stand there to this day. And so this place I want you to understand of Gethsemane was literally a place of crushing. In fact, Isaiah tells us that Jesus, this prophet, prophesying about this suffering servant some 700 years before jesus came to the earth talked about that this suffering servant would be literally crushed for our iniquities so this place was literally a place of of crushing the olives in this place were grounded into like an olive paste and what they would use is this huge millstone to literally crush the olives to get the paste which eventually would produce the olive oil. And this olive paste generally stayed under these huge millstones for some 30 to 40 minutes. This place where Jesus went to pray literally was a place of crushing. Jesus went there and literally we're going to see as he prayed, he was crushed. Jesus had to endure something knowing what he was about to face as he went to the cross. I want us to get a bigger and a better understanding of this. What, what image, what, what was Christ to endure here? So, what, what happened in the garden that was so unique? The, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was deeply dis- distressed. Something happened to Jesus that caused him to experience this severe trouble. In fact, the translation in the original language in the Greek, the word literally means deeply distressed to where he was astonished. So as he's praying, he's deeply distressed. He's astonished by something, and Jesus suddenly sees something. He realizes the magnitude of what he has to endure. In fact, Jesus was troubled there. That Greek verb literally means to be overwhelmed or to be overcome with horror. Something troubled Jesus to the point of horror. He was so troubled. It just wasn't this why I'm a little worried, or I'm a little anxious. He was troubled to the point of horror, to the point of of death. Now, how many of you ever have been just scared? Or scared out of your mind? Something just caught you, and you just, it just caused your heart to beat, or skip a beat, where you were just really, maybe was watching a scary movie, I don't know, maybe something popped out and you didn't see it and it just scared you and it just really frightened you. That, that's what this word literally means. Now, I, I was trying to think back in my mind, what, what was the time that I was like the most frightened? And I'll tell you what, two things bother me more than anything else. Snakes and Spiders. I don't like snakes. I don't care if they're this big, the size of an earthworm. I will not pick a snake up. I don't like them. It's just something, they're cursed on the ground, the Bible says. There's something to do with that. I don't like, the other day we were walking around a pond by our house and this snake, it wasn't very big, um, but it was laying in the grass out of this hole and you're just walking along and you're not expecting, sudden, you see this snake and, you know, I screamed like a little girl, but anyways, you see this snake and... <laughs> I'll tell you. There's this one time, and I've shared this story a long time ago, but I want to share it again. There's one time that I was just it—it it literally terrified me to the point that it just it terrified me. I, uh, when I was in college, I cleaned the chapel at school. Actually, I cleaned the right side of the chapel. My friend cleaned the left side of the chapel, but I'd have to clean the bathrooms. Now. I don't know how many ever lived in Florida or down south. How many of you have ever lived down south for a point of time? Okay, how many know they've got bugs in the south? You know what I'm talking about? They've got these one bugs called Palmetto bugs. It's a fancy name for nasty roach. That's what it is. And some of these palmetto bugs you could put saddles on and ride them around, they're huge. And they just they can get in space and they're just you turn the lights on and like you know, they scatter. They're just nasty. Well, I'm cleaning the the bathroom one day, and I flipped the light on real quick. And I am not kidding you. There was a spider in there the size of a dog. I mean, this spider (laughs) was like this big. It was huge. And I literally, you know when you just can't even scream? It's like, I was just, I couldn't even get it out. I was so terrified By the spider and it wasn't moving so i'm trying to scream it it literally lunged it no it didn't lunge i i had a broom and i don't know whether i didn't know what to do i said it's it's probably going to take my broom and beat me over the head with it so 10 minutes later when my friend came in and found me on the floor passed out he woke me up and no i don't know the, the spider went underneath the cabinet i mean it was like so now every time i had to clean the bathroom like to my friend, I'm like, hey, Dave, go in there and turn the light on. See if that monster's in there. And it's funny because it was in the girl's bathroom. So <laughs> and I remember I told one girl that. She goes, I will never go in that bathroom again. I'm never, ever going in that. But you ever just get to a point where you just, it's that, just that panic takes over your life and you just have that fear. That's, that's what, I, that's the, to this extent, I want you to understand As Jesus is praying, something happens. Something grips the heart of Christ that it just troubles him to the point of death. Now, what we're going to see here is in, in Matthew, he gives us a glimpse of this. But Luke even gives us a greater glimpse of to what's going on as Jesus is praying. Jesus experiences something so horrifying that it pushed him to death to where he says my soul is so overwhelmed it's to the point of death so i want you to get the understanding of what jesus is going through in fact the gospel of luke gives us some greater insight to what's going on here and if you look at luke twenty-two forty-four, it says and being in agony here he is in the garden being in agony He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. Literally, Jesus was praying so hard, and his spirit was so troubled that he began to sweat drops of blood hematrodosis that's the word it's actually a medical word it's actually a medical thing that happened right here it's where literally your your sweat glands which which begin to 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 sweat these drops of blood and and what it's the, the the medical explanation i looked it up is this is there are multiple blood vessels and they're like a net like form and under great pressure and stress these these vessels constrict and as the anxiety passes the blood vessels dilate to the point of of rupture and the blood goes into the sweat glands and as the sweat glands are are producing a lot of sweat it pushes the blood literally to the surface coming out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat and and how this happens is under extreme amount of pressure and stress So Jesus was troubled here. He was under a great deal of of stress. And so what, what caused... Was Jesus walking in fear? I don't think so. I think Jesus began to see the magnitude of what he was going to endure for you and I. It was serious business. Jesus knew that he was the only person to do what you and i could never do which no one else could ever do jesus was taking on a huge responsibility jesus was taking on the weight of the world's sins upon his shoulders did he know that sure but to the magnitude as he prayed he understood that he was the only one that could do this but i believe that as Jesus is praying, he's understanding and he's seeing what else is going to happen here that no one else could do and no one else has ever done. So what made Jesus' suffering so unique? I want us to understand something here because we can, we can look at Jesus' suffering on the cross and we understand it was gruesome. Crucifixion was horrible. It, it was basically a slow death by suffocation. Where you begin to, where you, every time you pull yourself up on the cross, you're trying to take another breath to fill your lungs with oxygen. It was a horrible, slow death. And for many of you that saw the movie The Passion of the Christ, you got a good glimpse of the suffering that Christ went through. But I want you to understand something. There was something far greater going on than just Jesus' physical suffering that he had to. Endure, And we have many accounts of Christians suffering for their faith. In fact, church history tells us about it. Polycarp, who was a bishop of Smyrna, he was an early church leader, uh, tells us about church history, tells us that he was literally burned at the stake for his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, To avoid execution, he could have rejected his faith. But this was Polycarp's reply as recorded for us in church history. He said, The fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little. You do not know the fire of coming judgment, but why do you delay? Come, do what you will. Polycarp would not deny his faith in jesus christ and and was burned at the stake many followers of christ died horrible deaths for their faith in fact some more gruesome than even christ endured for you and i the physical death that he died for you and i but what did jesus face that was far worse than any other death what made jesus's sorrow so intense that he 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 compared it to to death Didn't Jesus know the type of of death that he would die? Wasn't he prepared for it? What caused him to have such horror? What Jesus was experiencing goes far beyond the physical torture of the cross. Why do we know that? Because I want you to understand something. Jesus says something as he's praying in the garden that gives us greater insight to why Jesus saw such horror, why he sweated drops of blood, why he was undergoing so much pressure and stress from his life. Jesus prayed this, Father God, take this cup from me. Notice he didn't say, take the cross from me. Didn't say that. Now get this. He said, take the cup from me. Now you're thinking, what does that mean? Because we're going to take communion in just a minute. It's going to bring a lot better understanding for you, I believe. You're going to take communion in a totally different way today, hopefully, if you understand this. Jesus says, take this cup from me, not take the cross. He didn't even say, take this physical suffering from me. So we understand That something deeper is going on here. Something deeper has caused Christ to to be so astonished, to to, to be so heartfelt, to, to have so much anguish. He says, take this cup from me. The cup symbolizes this. It symbolizes the wrath of God towards sin. Isaiah, the prophet, gives us some detail about this cup of God's wrath. So when you see the word cup there, many times in the Old Testament, the cup symbolizes God's outpouring of wrath. Isaiah 51, 22 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord, this is what he says. It says, your God and defender says this. See, I have taken the terrible cup from your hands. You will drink no more of my what? Fury. See, in the garden... Jesus sees before him God's wrath and judgment upon sin. Jesus was about to face the wrath of God and take our punishment upon himself. To understand what Christ did for us, we need to understand this very, very important word that we see in some translations of the Bible. And I want to explain to you why this is so important. Why Jesus says, if you could allow this cup to pass through me, but then he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus accepts the will of the Father to take this wrath upon himself for you and I. But we need to understand this very important word. There's a word called propitiation in the Bible. And I want you to understand what this word means. Propitiation has a twofold meaning. First, it involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person. And then secondly, it's reconciling a person back into a right relationship with an offended person. We've all offended God by our sin. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfection and glory. So that made us enemies with God. We were estranged from God. We needed to be put back into a right relationship with God. Something had to be sacrificed in order to atone or to cover our sins. Something had to be sacrificed in order to make it right. And so what Jesus did was, he offered himself as that atoning sacrifice to cover for you and I something that we couldn't pay. Something that we couldn't cover in our own strength. And so propitiation means, it means appeasing the wrath, that anger that God has towards our sin. And then reconciling us back to a right Relationship with God before Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Here's what many people don't hear when they hear the message of Christ proclaimed to them. And there, you, people, listen to me. Listen closely. You've got to hear both sides of the story. How many of you know? There's always two sides to every story, right? You hear one person, well, and then you're like, okay, and you're like, wow, really? That really? Wow, woo, wow. Really? Then all of a sudden you get this answer, you're like, really? Well, you know, over here, they said really that's oh yeah. Well I didn't they didn't kind of they kind of hit you know what I'm saying? Aren't we the best at jumping at conclusions? Let's get the whole story. Let's get it all out, okay? And there's two sides to this story that many people don't hear the gospel message. Here here's here's what I'm talking about. Many people Only want a loving God. How many know that God is love? He's a loving God, right? God is love. But the problem is many people, they just want a loving God, which he is. Yet you have to understand one thing about the character of God. In order to have a loving God, we need to have an angry God also. Let me explain what I mean here. In order to have a loving God, you must have an angry God. If God is a loving God, then he must be angry with evil and sin and and what it's done to his creation. I want you to realize, thank you, Lord, for your wrath. I bet you're not going to hear that preached from a lot of pulpits in America. Here's the reason why I want us to thank God for his wrath. Listen to me. I know this sounds crazy, but without wrath and God's justice, we would never be forgiven. Without God's wrath, the problem of our sin would have never been taken care of. You see the problem, everybody wants to hear about God's love and Jesus loves you and Jesus loves the little children and kumbaya my lord and we all love this love and god is love and we hear this we hear this spoken and preached and 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 god does love us the problem is why does he love us why did jesus give his life for us and the bible says that god demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners jesus died for us listen If God is not a just God, if God is not a God of wrath, there would be no need for the cross of Jesus Christ. And if God is just a loving God, then we're all doomed because the problem of our sin would have never gotten taken care of. The cross of Jesus Christ was to appease God's wrath and show how much God loves us. One person. Amen. Okay. L-l-listen, listen to Tim Keller, great author, pastor in New York City. Listen to what he says here. He said that's one of the reasons he's angry at what's going on in his creation. He is angry at anything or anyone that is destroying the people in the world he loves. His capacity of love is so much greater than ours... And the cumulative extent of evil in the world is so vast that the word wrath doesn't really do justice to how God rightly feels when he looks at the world. So it makes no sense to say, I want a loving God. If God is loving and good, he must be angry at evil, angry enough to do something about it. And that's why Jesus came. Look, look at Hebrews. Let, let's look deeper into this because I think this will help us get a deeper understanding. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, he being Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. There is nothing I can offer God to appease his righteous demands. I am helpless. The only satisfaction or propitiation that the Bible uses that God would accept couldn't come from me. It would have to come from God himself. For this reason, Jesus Christ came into the world in human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and make atonement or propitiation for the sins of The people. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. Jesus willingly accepted God's will by taking our punishment and becoming our sacrifice to bring peace between us and God. What Jesus experienced in the garden was he understood that the wrath of God was going to be poured out on who? On Him. Much greater than the physical suffering, Jesus knew that God's wrath was going to be poured out on him. What a wonderful Savior we have today. When we say that God is just a loving God, but don't understand about his his wrath, we cheapen his grace. We cheapen what Christ did for us. No one else has done that for you. And we, no one else has done that for you. So when we say, well, Jesus is just like everybody else. No, he isn't. He's not like everybody else. When I hear somebody on the TV or Oprah or, or, or anybody else say, well, there's many ways to God. You know what it does? It grieves my spirit because what she's doing and every other new age person is doing is lessening what Jesus did upon the cross. And when you say, oh, there's many ways, you don't get it. Oprah, you don't get it. Many people don't get it. Because if you got it, you would fall on your face before God and cry out in mercy and ask God to forgive you because of what Jesus did for you and I. That's what it comes down to. I'm sorry. Oprah has a lot of good shows, okay? I don't mean to get on her. But I just... It bothers me because it grieves my spirit just to take what Jesus did on the cross and basically you cheapen it to just some nice act. It wasn't just a lot of people died horrible deaths, but Jesus's was different because he took the weight of the world on his shoulders and he took the wrath of God against himself for you and I. Totally different. So if you're trying to put Jesus in the same ballpark as other great religious leaders... Not even in the same ballpark. You can't compare the two at all. And you cheapen what Christ did for you and I. You cheapen it. So here's the wonderful thing. You say, okay, so Jesus suffered. He took on the wrath of God. We understand that. Here's what's so wonderful about that. Is now Christ can help us in our times of suffering. In our times of need. Jesus can relate to you because he's gone through everything that you've gone through, the Bible says, yet without sin. Look what Hebrews 2.14 says. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, talking about Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus can sympathize with us in our suffering. Why? First of all, because he shared in our humanity. Jesus shares in our humanity, even though he was completely God, what he did was, through his work of the cross, is destroyed the work of the devil and the power to control us to walk in fear. In Christ Jesus, because he suffered on the cross, because he took my place, I can relate to him. He destroyed the works of the enemy and the fear that the devil can put in our heart about life, about death. No longer do I fear those things. Why? Because Jesus conquered those things. So I don't, now in Christ Jesus, I don't have to fear about death. There's not this fear of where am I going to go when I die? I don't have that fear any longer because Jesus conquered on the cross. and He says, for those that put your trust in me, I'm going to bring life to you also. Even though you die, you will live. I'm the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. There's a peace that comes with it, doesn't it? Jesus went before us. He did it for us. So I put my trust in him. And he told for those that follow me and trust me, the same is going to happen for you. He shares in your humanity. He understands what you go through. He walked. He cried. He got hungry. He understands the pain, the suffering he went through. He can relate to. you. It's not some God that's far off that can't relate to us. Jesus can sympathize with us, So, because he was human and shared in our humanity, yet fully God, he shared in our suffering also. He understands what suffering is about. So, he shares in our humanity, he shares in our suffering. The Hebrew writer in chapter 4 goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness... But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ understands what we're going through. He's not immune to our suffering. In fact, the word sympathize there means to have compassion. Jesus understands our pain, He relates to us. You can go to Him. There is no one in the world that understands you greater than Jesus Christ does. He took on every sin, every suffering, every pain upon himself. He gets it. He understands it. He sympathizes with you. You can go to him. And in your time of need and in your time of suffering and in your time of of confusion and misunderstanding, you can fall at the throne of God and say, Jesus, you know me better than anyone else. I need you. And in that time of need and in your time of help, Christ will show mercy upon you and pour out his grace upon your life. And give you peace in your life that you couldn't get from any other place. Why? Because Jesus knows what you're going through. We have a faithful high priest. A faithful savior. Who not only understands me in my humanity. But understands me in my suffering. And then also we share. He shares in our hope because he went before us. I love John 16, 33. Jesus says to his disciples who are kind of worrying now because Jesus is telling them of the death and how he's going to leave them and they're kind of worried about what's going to happen. And Jesus says to his disciples, I have said these things to you and he says these things to you and to me and to everyone that's sitting here today that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That word tribulation, there in the Greek, literally means to crush, to press or affliction, just like Gethsemane. It means to, presh, to, to press, to crush affliction. He goes, in this world, you're going to be crushed at times, right? You're going to be pressed. You're going to feel like there's no way out. You're going to feel like I can't endure it any longer. God, if you give me one more thing, I'm going to snap. How many of you have ever felt that way? We all have, amen, right? We all have tribulations, don't we? What did Jesus remind us of? Jesus reminded his disciples and he reminds you here today to take heart, to have hope because Jesus overcame this world. So no matter what this world may throw at me, Jesus is overcome and you too can overcome in Christ. That should give us all hope. So the things that we go through, the pressure that we go through makes us stronger and increases our faith to be stronger in the Lord. And to give us that hope that knows that because Jesus overcame, we too will overcome. The good news here is that Jesus overcame this world and all its difficulties. And we can too. That's the hope and the assurance that we have today. Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. Jesus did everything for you. There's nothing that you and I can do to ever appease God. His love for you is unconditional. There's nothing more that you can do to cause God to love you anymore. Nothing. And what we try to do is we try to do these good things and I'll come to church. I'll read my Bible. I will try to do penance and make up for all the bad things I do. God's love for you is the same when you were in your sinful state as you are sitting here as a nice, good smelling, good looking Christian sitting in your pew. All right. It doesn't change. Because there's nothing in your own work that you can do to appease or to gain God's love for you. That was already accomplished 2,000 years ago upon the cross. You say, well, what what do I need to do then, Pastor? What do I need to do then? How how do I get God to accept me? How, How do I become a Christian? How do I walk this walk without the guilt and the condemnation of feeling, did I do enough? Have you ever felt that way? God, have I done enough? There's not enough you could ever do, so just get over it, okay? Well, that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, Pastor. Thank you. There's nothing you can do. Put your faith in the one who's already done it for you. It's through God's grace that you're saved today. It's by your faith in Christ that you become that child of God. Put your trust in Christ. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? From God's wrath. All those who are not under the covering of Jesus Christ are objects of God's wrath. When you're under the covering of Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you and by you putting your faith in Christ and believing what he's done for you, you are now covered in his sacrifice. You are now covered in the blood of his sacrifice. Just like the Passover in Egypt when they were to the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their home. What happened to the angel of death? It did what? It passed over. God's judgment did not come to that house and the killing of the firstborn. Why? Because the blood of the lamb was over the doorpost of the home and the angel of death flew over. So when you are in Christ Jesus and you believe in his sacrifice that that Jesus took the penalty for you, and you put your faith in that. You are. Could you hear people say, "You got to be covered in the blood of the lamb"? When out before I was a Christian, I was like, "What is this killing of lambs with Christians? This just what is this horrible religion that I'm sitting here?" What that means is, the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed at Passover. If you fast forward that, is it's symbolic of Christ being the Lamb of God for you and I. He became that perfect lamb for you and I, the perfect sacrifice. No more need for any more sacrifices. And when you are in the blood of Christ and you are covered by his blood, God's wrath no longer comes at your door any longer. So when you stand before God and you die one day, it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. When you stand before God in Christ Jesus, all God sees is his son's sacrifice and his blood. And you are saved. Didn't that give you peace? Praise God. That's what Jesus did for you. So when we come to the Lord's table, what we're recognizing by the bread is we're recognizing Jesus' body that was given for you and I. When we look at the cup, Jesus said in that Passover meal before he was to go to the cross, this new covenant's in my blood. I'm going to make a sacrifice for you that you can't do for yourself. And whenever you drink of this, you're reminded of that sacrifice that I made for you. That you are now covered in my sacrifice. It's a new covenant that I'm going to make with God. And when you are in that covenant, you are safe from God's wrath and judgment. Thank God for his love because without God's love, he would have never sent his son. Thank God for God's love and his wrath and his judgment because without his judgment, he would have never sent his son to die for our sins. Amen. We need both. So when we come to the Lord's table, the Apostle Paul says that we should examine our hearts and examine our lives that if there's anything that's wayward there, if there's anything that I've done against the Lord, that I confess that to him. And I say, Jesus, forgive me for my waywardness. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. And guess what? The Bible says that when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question is, where are you today? Are you under the covering or are you over here? Get in the house. Get in the covering of Christ Jesus. And the way you do that is by faith. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Some of you here today, your family, you've got children that are out of the covering. You pray by faith, God, bring them into the covering. You literally, you you pray the blood of Christ. Say, God, I pray that your sacrifice would be realized in their life, that you would cover that. Bring them under your covering. Some of you that aren't in right marriage relationships, you say, God, bring our house under your covering. Amen. Be that go-between between between your family and your children and your marriage that you're going to stand in the gap and believe that God is going to save them and touch them. Come under that covering. Amen. There's peace. There's security. There's security. And the enemy can't touch any of that stuff. And some of you here today, I just believe this is a word from the Lord. Some of you here today, you've been following the Lord, but you've come out from under that covering. You've, you're walking in fear and worry. And your house is going to work out. And Christ is saying, you've got to come under my covering. You've got to come under my shelter. You've got to believe that I'm going to protect you from the schemes and the wiles and the lies of the enemy. But those that are in Christ Jesus, we're protected. We don't have to fear. Amen? So we come against the schemes and the plots and the plans of the enemy in our life. And we come under his shelter and his protection and allow God's peace to rule and reign in your life. Take authority, will you? Just take authority and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to come under your covering. As you take communion today, just believe that his sacrifice was enough for you and allow God to shelter you in his protection today, amen? And we have nothing to fear when when we are under God's protection. Amen? 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 Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come down. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down. And I want to pray for you today. Before we take communion today, I want you to bow your heads with me today. How many of you by the raised hand would just say, Pastor, I'm walking in fear today. I got to admit it. I'm walking in fear today. I've got anxiety. There's some worry in my heart. And uh, I just need the protection of the Lord. I need to come under God's protection today. I believe that when you step out in faith and believe that, that God is going to protect you in your situation. I believe he'll do it when you walk by faith. How many by the race and say, Pastor, that's just me. I need God's protection. Amen. Thank you. God's going to do it. Amen. Thank you for being so bold. Lord, as we just bow our hearts before you, we say we can't do it. We're helpless without you. And Lord, we've opened our lives up to a lot of stuff that the enemy has come in and rearranged and destroyed, but no longer, God. We understand that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. We understand how powerful his blood is stayed. And as we take communion today as a church family, We're going to trust you that your sacrifice, that your blood is enough, that it covers us now, that it protects us, that it cleanses us, that our identity now is in Christ Jesus and not in our past. I pray that for every marriage, every individual, that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding as they put their heart and their faith in you. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. And as we take communion as a family, I pray that it would just bind us together, bind our church family together with cords that cannot easily be broken. So we love you and we thank you for your perfect sacrifice today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Worship with Andy today. The ushers are going to serve you, communion, and then we'll take it together. We'll take communion together. After this song, so just worship the Lord as the ushers serve you this morning. God bless you. this morning is pretty powerful. Jesus didn't allow that cup to bypass him, but he, in that garden, allowed himself to be crushed. Allowed himself to take on the will of God for you and I. This cup represents this new covenant that Jesus made in his own blood for you and I, that we could have a right relationship with. cup symbolizes the washing of our sin, the stain of our sin that we could never wash out ourselves in our own strength, our own goodness. Jesus did for us. How powerful is that today? So Lord, we come before you and this bread we hold in our hands, we understand is your body that was literally crushed and bruised for us that just as God fed the Israelites in the wilderness through manna, Lord Jesus, you are that bread of life to us now. That in you we find life and hope and security. So thank you for your body that was given for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's partake in the bread together. And Lord, we thank you for this cup. symbolizes your blood that was given for us. That we understand without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sin. For that we're grateful. I pray for every person here today that as they call upon your name and as they recognize their sin and as they fall upon the mercy of God on the grace of Jesus Christ today they would feel your peace now in jesus name thank you for forgiving us today thank you jesus that you know us already you know all the stuff we've done but yet you still died for us for that we're thankful i pray lord that you would unify our church through your precious blood that you would unify and bring together every marriage god through your precious blood take control of our families. Take control of our marriages. Take control of our church, Lord. We give you everything, God. And we thank you, Jesus, for your love today. This cup we are grateful. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup today. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. His word is good. Amen. Amen. Listen, before I uh, dismiss you, thank you for being so sensitive to God's word today. and Let me get all hyper on you. But um, if you need prayer today, anyone needs prayer today, or I, I want to just uh, let you know that our prayer partners will be up front. We'd love to pray with anything that you're going through today. Please don't leave without feeling and uh, feeling that your needs are met and that we'll pray with you today. But otherwise, go in God's grace. God bless you today. Have a wonderful day. Amen. <clears throat>